This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Get in on the conversation at 866-979-ESPN. Now here's your host, the professor, John Clayton. And Gary Hill will be joining us at 930. Dave Grosby will be joining us at 1030. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Jet in Seattle. Hey, Jet, how you doing? Dr. John, I'm ready to take full flight now. We've got a full staff, and we're ready to go. Yeah, I know, but I mean, how, how, I mean, how, this was the Jets being the Jets, wasn't it? I mean, the fact that, uh, I know two days isn't a big thing. Yeah, I know he was rusty coming out the first day of practice, but it's like, you know, what, what were the Jets thinking and how they were trying to do a contract that was, you know, reasonably easy to do? Well, my question is, what were the sticking points? Well, the sticking point. Uh, I, no, the, the sticking points were, and this is Jets being the Jets. Is that uh, okay? So he's the second pick in the draft. He's got a huge signing bonus, and they wanted to delay some of the payment of the signing bonus until next year. And then they didn't want to honor. They wanted to have an offset in case he gets cut somewhere in the third or fourth year, where they can, uh, if whatever he makes, they can get back on their cap and get back as far as money. But it's like. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is the second pick in the draft. He's a quarterback. Uh, you have no other quarterbacks on your team, and they're playing jet-like type games. Well, uh, my my look at it is this. I mean, don't forget they went through the same problem with Darnold, and that was no. But, don't, but remember, they, they gave they gave the entire signing bonus to Darnold. Right. That's what I don't understand about the signing bonus. The offset I can perfectly understand because they don't want to set a precedent, and the offset's a big deal. Now, may it be a situation with Zach Wilson down the road? Mm, probably not, but at least let's hope not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, I mean, Darnold didn't work out, and they ended up trading him. But I can understand the offset being a bit of a concern, and you don't want to set the precedent uh, in dealing with other contracts as well. But I just did not understand, like you mentioned, why they, why they were so uh, uh, concerned about paying the, uh, uh, the bonus up front. Yeah, uh, I I didn't understand that, and I mean, is there any benefit to when they pay it as far as salary structures next year or the following year? No, I mean, it, I don't understand. I, I didn't see any benefit there, except for the fact that they don't have to pony up the money next week. No, they you know? they, they didn't want to have it come off this year's payroll. Simple as that. They wanted it to be yeah, cheap. And I don't under, and I don't understand what what benefit they get outside of the fact that it's not coming off this year's payroll. I didn't understand that part of it, mm-hmm. and that part made no sense to me. I understand the offset. That, that doesn't bother me at all. But the, the, the bonus thing just didn't really make any sense to me. Yeah, well, again, it's just the Jets being cheap. And uh, I, I guess the question, too, also is, you know, I can understand Zach Wilson wanting his money up front. Yeah. You know, get it now you can do with it as opposed to deferring it and then you know, you don't get to compound whatever you're going to do with the money if it's a successful investment. And, of course, he's got substantial, you know, financial investment background in his family. So I can appreciate that, but uh, I just I just didn't get it. But, again, it's two days. It's The problem is it's more of a PR thing yeah. than anything that's really going to debilitate the team because here you got a fan base. I mean, face it, John, we're one of the most beaten-down fan bases in the NFL. Uh-huh. You know, and also still one of the most uh, – a vibrant fan bases in the NFL, despite that, you know, and you'd think that here we've got a huge PR boon that we have not had in, in basically since they brought in since Rex Ryan came in and, and brought in his bravado. Okay. I mean, it's, it's pretty much as good as that. And 
you know, now it's like, okay, we're all set. We're ready for big opening. Let's just open with a splash. And then we got this, you know, it's just, I think from a PR night, from a PR perspective, it's more of a, oh, like you said, same old jet mm-hmm. because they missed a huge opportunity here. But in a long-term perspective, does it really matter? No. No, because, again, two days is not uh, big, but still, I think it just you know, gives a bad imprint. Because, I mean, Zach Wilson was the only holdout in the National Football League this year. The only one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and again, I, that just doesn't bother me too much. The point is is that uh, it's just a, a missed PR opportunity. And uh, I find that to be the most frustrating aspect mm-hmm. of the whole thing. Because, I mean, here we are. We're all set. We want, we want to turn the page move on to hopefully something, go to a better place, and we can't even get that together. Yeah. So I, I think just from a PR perspective, it's more of a problem. Although I will say, you know, I mean, they don't have that many practices. So, you know, heck, losing what? They got 30 practices. So if you lose three of them, that's like 10 Well, yeah, but you only got 12 training camp practices, 12. Exactly. So, so that's, I mean, that's, you really can't. So, you know, all of a sudden you're missing two out of 12. Exactly. So that's a problem, you know. Um, but the nice thing is, we don't have any other backup quarterbacks that really need reps. No. So he'll be getting all the major reps. So we've got that going for us, John. And maybe that's the savvy move. It's why we don't have any viable backup quarterbacks. Yeah, but I don't they know. better get one. I don't get, get that either. Yeah. Well, I don't I get that either. Jets being the Jets. Where are they going to go with this? I mean, I don't understand why. What's the benefit here? Uh-huh. I mean, I don't see what's the end game. Uh, with not having the backup quarterback or a legitimate backup quarterback. I mean, you really can't expect to go into the season with Mike White and Captain Morgan, you know, as your as your backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with a rookie and somebody that looks as frail as Zach Wilson. I mean, I'm just I'm just worried he's going to get knocked out in the first five weeks. Yeah. Uh, so I that's my big concern with the kid, as we've talked about, is like his, uh, you know, his, his health. Uh, mm-hmm. he just, Looks frail, so yeah, I, I I I don't get that part. I, I what are they doing? What are they saving by doing this? It just seems again, this is a penny wise pound foolish situation that I just can't wrap my head around. Yeah, and again, it's like I know that uh, you know they made some good moves, the Carl Lawson move, and some of the other moves that they've made. Uh, I I still like getting uh, you know uh, Morgan Moses and all that stuff. Although George Fant <clears throat> is on the COVID list, so. He's sidelined temporarily, but, uh, you know, it's like, uh, okay, uh, they've gotten better on the offensive line, which was good. But again, it's like, they're still, I mean, they're dead at the cornerback position. Well, you know, Salah's take is, is like, let's get the young kids in. Let's let them play and let's see if we can coach them up. Yeah. Um, I think he's kind of taking a page out of Pete Carroll's, the later Pete Carroll's book, you know, let the kids play and uh, let them play with their hair on fire and, see if we can kind of try to direct them slowly week by week. And, you know, that's okay because, quite frankly, they can't fill every hole. They no, have too many no. holes to fill. I get that. This is week year two of a three-year program. I get that part. But there's some things you can take a chance on. There's some things you can kind of let slide maybe work for next year. Cornerbacks, defensive backfield. Okay, we'll see what happens. They beefed up their, offense, their defensive line. They beefed up their pass rush. That will help the defensive backfield. Okay, fine. But one thing you can't do going into a season with is a rookie quarterback and uh, an offensive line that's that's improved but still brand new. And now you've got no backup quarterback behind him. 
that to me seems short-sighted. Uh, that to me seems something like needed to be addressed, mm-hmm. not something that can wait till next year. I mean, that's an immediate problem that needs to be addressed. And again, uh, now we're getting a little late in the game here, uh, so I just really don't know what the hell their plan is. Yeah, no, no question. It's like uh, you start to really wonder about it, and then of course, I mean, they, they on top of everything else, <clears throat> have a, a bunch of key injuries that uh, you know you don't know exactly when these guys are going to come back. I mean, not having Quinn and Williams, <clears throat> he's injured, so that's got to be a little bit scary. And then uh, they have other key injuries too. And then of course, I mean, again, not having George Fant, that doesn't help out. But, uh, I mean, you, you look at the injury list, and uh, it's kind of scary. Well, there's always going to be injuries. That's part of the game. And, um, you know, obviously, Quinn Williams is going to be slow. He's on the pup list. But there's guessing that he's only going to be on there for a few weeks. Yeah. Hopefully that's correct. But, again, what kind of shape is he going to be in when he comes off the pup list? Because he's got a broken foot. So how much can you really do yeah, with Yeah, and, of course, foot? I mean, there's safety. Ashton Davis on, uh, on PUP. <clears throat> You've got uh... that, that was that was that was more concerning because I think that's a neck issue, mm-hmm. and uh, that has long term ramifications, and that's a bit of a concern. Not, not that this um, is a big name, but Kyle Phillips, who you know is some projecting to be the starting left defensive end, <coughs> he's on the pup list. Yeah, the one thing that's nice though about at least the, one of the few spots that they have an abundance of talent and, and they have at least depth going into the season is their defensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if these guys are slow to come about, they do have other players that can fill in. They did a nice job of not just uh, adding to uh, a, a unit, but a unit that was, out of all of them, probably the strongest of the team. Mm-hmm. So, in that regard, okay, yeah, it's a problem, but they're equipped to handle that. But if they got problems like, you know, in the back, you know, the back of it, you know, the linebackers, I mean, they are so thin at linebacker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, now they've just got, you know, a a bingo ball, a bingo game of who's going to play in the defensive backfield. So I, I don't know. Uh, you know, we're just basically looking for them to improve this year, but I'm really hoping that they can improve the offense. The defense will come with time, but they've got some talent. But the nice thing that I saw was uh, Beckton's on the field, mm-hmm. and apparently, uh, you know, while he's certainly not Mr. Universe at this point, apparently he's uh, laid off the uh, the late-night drive throughs Good. And uh, he's got himself in, in, in a bit of shape. He looks quite a bit more solid. So I heard Pat Kerwin on, um, they did the jet roundup the first, uh, the first week, uh, first day when the first camp they went to. And uh, they interviewed Beckton and he was sitting next to him and stuff. And even he commented, I mean, obviously he's a large man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but he was saying that the difference between him last year and this year is pronounced. It looks like he's got a, you know, it looks like he's, uh, uh, he's been doing his work. So that's very encouraging. Hopefully we're going to see a big bump up like we did with Quinn and Williams last year. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you have to argue that Quinn and Williams might be one of the best players on the team. Well, I remember remember we were talking about the, the Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. And one of the – Quinn and Williams is one of the names that they were floating around. He said, what do you, what do you think about that? And I said, you got to be out of your mind. I mean, guys that can do what Quinn and Williams can do, namely get to the quarterback from the interior – is invaluable, uh-huh. particularly with as fast as the ball is coming out these years. And that was one of the things that Rex Ryan was able to get at Brady with, particularly with Mo, William, Mo, Mo Wilkerson, because he was just so much more athletic than the guards and the centers. Right. And they were able to collapse uh, collapse uh, the line on Brady up front when those were a few years that they were challenging him. And uh, that's the way to do it, because the ball's coming out so fast, you're not going to get there from the edge. I don't care who you are. 
So you've got to have that internal pass rush somehow. And when you've got down linemen that can bring it, those guys are going to become invaluable commodities in mm-hmm. the NFL, like like Darnold or, or Donald, for example. And I think Quinn Williams can be even better. Yeah, he <clears throat> he looks like a good one. There, there's no question about it. And of course, I mean, you know, they've they've let a couple go. I mean, uh, that have been uh, pretty decent defensive tackles. But I'm I'm just the one thing I'm happy about for this team because this is like three years too late. I'm just happy they finally went to a four three. Yeah, I mean, we've been we've been harping on that. Yeah. For, for a decade now, and I, you know, I am just so glad, and it's you're going to see such an improvement, yeah. Because again, their strength has constantly been on the defensive line. Well, geez, when you draft four defensive linemen in the first round in six years, mm-hmm. I mean, it better be the strength of your team. Although most of those guys aren't with the team anymore, right? But uh, uh, why are you playing a three-four when you keep drafting defensive tackles? Yeah, agreed. It, it just made no, it made no sense, and uh, I still, hopefully, someday we'll get to the root of that it question, but. Uh, I don't know who was driving those decisions, but it just made absolutely no sense. Yeah. Um, hey, hey, Jet, thank you for the phone call. All right, take care, John. It's going to be an interesting week in camp. Absolutely. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Nathan. Nathan, how are you? Oh, I'm pretty good, John. Thank you. Hey, um, just let me tell you real quick that um, um, when the COVID hit last year, I was in the airline business, and, of course, that got devastated pretty hard. And uh, in April, I ended up getting a second job. And as the airline business came back slowly but surely, I was working 14, 15 hours a day. And I missed virtually all of the Seahawks and NFL season. And, uh, you know, I just kind of heard over the last couple of months about about K.J. Wright mm-hmm. not being with the team anymore. Can you tell me, did his contract expire or was there any kind of Dissension or something kind of like in the disrespect area, like it no. Aaron Rodgers has brought up. No, what it was, he signed a two-year contract for about fourteen million dollars, and it ran out last year. Okay, so now this year, uh, you know, they remember they have uh, two young outside linebackers, Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks being a first-round pick, and then also you know Daryl Taylor. Uh, the second-round pick from last year, who was hurt and missed the entire season, uh, is has the ability to play some strong side linebacker. And so because of that, having you know, three young options, they've not re-signed him yet. doesn't rule out the chance that they may re-sign him, but uh, at this moment, you know, he's still on the street and hasn't been able to get anything. Well, that's still... He was such a such a strong part of the team, you know, historically yeah. from the Super Bowl era and all that. It just seems like, you know, old soldiers just don't die. They just fade away. And that just didn't seem right. Well, plus, I mean, which uh, to, to make it even uh, stranger is the fact that what you missed was that he probably had his best season. He was fantastic last year. Absolutely. And on, on the other side of that uh, is... Dwayne Brown mm-hmm. with, with his contract and all. Now he is still under 
contract for this season. Yeah. Yet um, it seems like there's this new modern kind of holdout situation where you show up so you don't get signed, but you don't you know, practice mm-hmm. in camp right now. So is that, do you see that as more of a changing of respect to the players that kind of like Aaron Rodgers was saying that he doesn't get at his stature and the Seahawks are showing the way uh, that respect will sure come on in while he waits your turn for your contract to get renegotiated after Jamal Adams. Well, again, it's like uh, you, you, you figure the pecking order has to be Jamal Adams first and Dwayne Brown second. And, of course, both aren't practicing. They're just uh, you know standing on the side. Now, in the case of Dwayne Brown, <clears throat> it's not like he's missing a lot because it's not like there's padded. there wasn't padded practices the first two days. And, you know, say what you want about uh, Jamal. I mean, he would have missed time had he gotten a new contract because he had he was still recovering from two surgeries, one on his hand and uh, his fingers and another on his shoulder. So it's like, uh, you know, but uh, in the end, it's like you want to get Jamal done. And I still think in the next week they can get Jamal done. And then seeing how that cap number is going to be uh, for this year and next year, then they can start working on Dwayne Brown. Do you expect Dwayne to be done before uh, the, the full week one? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because, again, it's like, uh, you know, I look at his situation much like Anthony uh, and uh, Anthony Whitfield down in uh, the Rams uh, because, I mean, what, he's making about $11 million a year, and now he's older, and he's not going to get a raise. I mean, it's going to be how much he can hold on to 11 or $10 million a raise because, uh, but like in the case of you know, Whitworth, Whitworth ended up, uh, I think he just makes now slightly over 10 where he was making more two or three years ago. But again, as you get older, it's like you're not, you don't have the leverage to be able to pull out a big raise. I don't care. You know, it's like you can if you're a quarterback, but not as a, as an offensive lineman. And so it's like, uh, you know, he, his salary basically is going to stay pretty close to being the same and he's going to give them more cap room. Okay. John, just one last thing here, and I'll, yes. I'll let you go real quick. On um, Sean Watson, uh, obviously uh, Houston is kind of distancing themselves, but they're not really because he's, he's there at least in camp, mm-hmm. but they're not using him as, as, you, as you pointed out. Uh, everyone else is pretty well set at quarterback. Yeah. Um, with, with his legal situation all being forfeits, uh, even if he should go to trial now or during the season, can he still play barring a commissioner exemption? Yeah, right now he can because the commissioner hasn't exempted him. And uh, his trials, really, uh, the 22 cases, they're not going to be heard until uh, May to July of next year because, uh, you know, they're not even taking a deposition of him until February 22nd of next year. So nothing's going to change on the case. And so because of that, he has the opportunity to play. Nathan, thank you for the phone call. Let's go to Bill in Renton. Hey, Bill. Well, hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you? Hey, pretty good. Um, Boy, the NFC West is really tough. Who do you think will be end up uh, ahead, either uh, between San Francisco and Arizona Cardinals? Who do you think has got the stronger team this year i think san francisco you know because they got some good defensive players they're they're still good at quarterback with jimmy garoppolo 
you know, I think it's going to, you know, Arizona's going to be a good team, but you still kind of wonder about their defense. And also you have to kind of wonder what's going on internally right now because they've got nine players, nine players on the COVID-19 list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. Hey, hey, John, in the NFL, um, I have two predictions I want to give you, see if you agree. First of all, I think the biggest bust this year is going to be Zach Wilson of the Jets. I really think that uh, Sam Darnold had a lot more experience and actual talent. Mm-hmm. I, I just think Zach Wilson is way, way overdone, way overrated. I think they're going to be in for a big surprise. I'm sorry. but And then my second prediction is just I think the NFL has just got to really watch it. They've got some trouble, John. You know, the more that they try to make political statements on the field, have players kneel or play other anthems other than our one national anthem, they're just going to lose more and more viewership and more and more support. Do you agree with me on those Mm, things? I don't know. I mean, it's football's football. And again, it's like uh, for a lot of those things, it's like that's not going to be on the air if you're watching it on TV. Now, if you're into games, you're going to be able to see it, but that's half the games. So I don't know. I mean, again, you just want football to be concentrating on football. But again, we're in a different time right now. And so, you know, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, I I just I I mean, I prefer football just to be football. But again, you have to realize we're in a different era right now. Coming up next, Gary Hill of the Mariners. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. And joining us is Gary Hill from the Mariners broadcast. Uh, and so, Gary, kind of interesting week because trade trade deadline has come and gone. And, of course, uh, uh, the week didn't start out very popular because of the Kendall Graveman trade to Houston. And, uh, and now, of course, we understand the reason, according to Jerry DePoto, is that uh, you know uh, Houston definitely wanted Montero in the trade, Rafael Montero, and so uh, and that ran out on Monday with that uh, designated for assignment role, so they had the ability to put him in the trade. But of course, I mean, the criticism of uh, giving up an 082 uh, reliever uh, along with uh, you know giving him to the best team in the division that had to not go over well and it certainly did not go over well in the locker room has the locker room recovered yeah i think the timing was unfortunate uh for the reasons you pointed out it had to be done at that at that time for the montero aspect but yeah i mean i guess when i look at uh clubhouses and locker rooms and probably you could say this about football too john like winning cures all right i mean and i always think winning is the best when it comes to team chemistry so i think in the long run the club is going to be fine i know they're going to welcome in diego castillo who is one of the best relievers in baseball he has a really excellent track record he's been one of the best relievers this year he was one of the best relievers last year he's been pitching in high leverage situations and really meaningful games, including the World Series a year ago. So he is a guy that is going to be uh, an important part of this team, not only this year, but for the next couple of years. And that was a huge component of this deal. You, landing a player like Castillo, not only for today, but also for tomorrow as well. Even though he uh, didn't get to save last night because it was a four-run, not a three-run game, is that uh, it looks, I mean, he did look good. Yeah. No, he's he's legit. 
uh, when I say he's one of the best relievers in baseball, he is one of the best relievers in baseball. There's no doubt about it. His slider is vicious. It's one of the best individual pitches that any reliever has. It is a dominating pitch. It's a wipeout slider that he'll use a lot. And to go with that, he has a fastball that will sit 96-97, and he can place it. He lives, and you saw it last night if you watched him pitch, he lives at the bottom of the zone, and he can just pick out his spots. And he's really tough. When you look at the numbers that underlie Castillo, I mean, the whiff rate, the chase rate, the strikeout rate, he's not barreled up, he's got a good walk rate, he's not hit hard. I mean, he checks every single box you want to see from a reliever. He is dominant. He's really good and a great pickup for the Mariners. Yeah, and of course, I mean, the one thing is, is that uh, as Jerry uh, Depoto said yesterday, it's like, you know, this team he thinks got a little bit better and certainly got younger <clears throat> is the fact that uh, I know that uh, it's, it'll be a little costly because of how good he is because he's got three years of arbitration coming up. But that means for the Mariners, they have three years of control and know they can keep him for three years. Yeah, and I suspect that's why he was available. And that's something you see with Tampa Bay is when they – it's not only free agent years with them. Arbitration years matter for them in terms of cost. So they are always trying to control costs, and I think that's why he's available because uh, Castillo's up for arbitration this coming year. He's going to get a big raise with what he has done the last couple of seasons. And so especially with relievers, they'll go in and out with relievers. They're always looking at cost control relievers, and I think uh, the Mariners uh, are the ones that uh, come out in front because of that this time around, which yeah. is good for the Ants. It's, it's great to have Castillo as part of this group moving forward, especially when you kind of dream ahead to next year and you already have uh, Stecken Rider, which is who has been really good this year. You have Seawald, who's been great this year. Castillo, you have Giles coming back healthy. You have Munoz coming back healthy. It's a pretty nasty group out of the bullpen some great stuff some great track records and a great place to start next year how obviously they with rodriguez going on the uh 80 day uh, suspension list and all that it's like uh how, how right now is the depth in the current bullpen yeah that's uh that's a tough one because now they don't have an immediate replacement for that one the great thing about santiago was he, he was a lefty that could do a lot of different things. He was pretty versatile. Yeah. He could come in and give you an inning. He could come in and give you four. He could give you a spot start if needed. So that's a tough loss. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do in that spot. Maybe. We'll see how it plays out. Of course, Tyler Anderson is in the rotation, who I think is kind of lost in everything that happened in the trade deadline with the Graveman situation. Tyler Anderson is a really good pickup and a major upgrade considering they really didn't have a starter in that spot. So Tyler Anderson will get the start in this one, the former Oregon Duck. He'll start tonight against Texas. It will be interesting to see if you stay healthy in rotation with the, the five that are in there right now, including Anderson. I wonder if Dunn or Sheffield will transition into that kind of role for the remainder of the season when they come back healthy at some point in August. That's just me speculating, kind of looking at the situation, and maybe one of those guys filled that spot. But it is a spot right now that goes unfilled. Mills has come up for the minors and has taken that roster spot, but he doesn't function as that same sort of pitcher, and they really could use that kind of long, versatile guy. What's your early thoughts on uh, Abraham Toro? 
Well, you got to love it. <laughs> yeah. A really good start. <clears throat> he, he's homered in the first couple games. He had three hits last night. I am really curious to see how this plays out. And I think when you look at the moves that were made and the conversations that I've had is they really like Toro. And we were talking to Justin Hollander yesterday, uh, the assistant general manager for the Mariners, and he has been, Toro has been on the Mariners radar for a long time. And Houston has not been willing to give him up uh, for a variety of reasons. So he had a massive year in the minors in 2019. He's had some cups of coffee with the Astros, but hasn't gotten extended playing time for obvious reasons. When you have an infield like Bregman and Correa and Guriel and Altuve, there's just no one to play consistently. So with the weird year uh, last year, no minors, he just hasn't played a lot. And so I'm really anxious to see this run because he's going to play. He's going to play every day and at second base mostly, but uh, he'll move around the infield a little bit, too. He can play third and uh, apparently a good defensive third baseman. But they are really high on him. I believe he can be an everyday guy. But you have to love how this has started. A couple of home runs, a double, uh, five hits already, and 10 at-bats. So he has provided some punch already for the Mariners, and we'll see if he can keep doing that. Because if he is the guy they think he is, then that trade really works out for the Mariners. Well, I know that the scouting report on him is that, like, for the last three years, most people around the league <coughs> predicted <coughs> he would have a breakout year. But you're right about the fact that you know, there's so much talent in that Astros infield. In fact, you can't have a breakout year if you can't get on the field consistently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a funny thing. I talk about that all the time. Baseball is such a weird sport in that regard. I mean, it's part talent. Uh, sometimes between luck and part opportunity. I mean, if you never get the opportunity, you can't show what you can do at this level. And sometimes that's all a guy needs. And we'll see if that's the scenario uh, with Toro. But you look back to his 2019, the last time he kind of played regularly in AAA, I mean, he slashed 324, uh, 411, uh, average and on base percentage with 17 homers and over 30 doubles. That's a big year. And numbers guys throughout the league, not just the Mariners staff, but uh, numbers guys throughout the league have always liked Toro and thought Toro was a guy that could really break out. And hopefully, for the Mariners' sake, that that he will be that kind of guy. He's a really interesting player. I mean, switch hitter, he can run, uh, plays good defense. He's, he's learning second base, so that's going to be a process. I would not expect him to be a gold glover out of the gate. I would expect him to make some mistakes at second base just because he hasn't played there. But he's a really interesting player, that's for sure. So what happens now to Shed Long? <clears throat> that's a good question. Uh, I mean, he's going to have his playing time cut into. <laughs> I think that's for sure because I think Toro's going to be the guy uh, every day. I think Shed will uh, – I wonder if he's going to be the roster casualty when we see Fraley come back on Monday. Which I think would be would be fine because Shed playing every day in AAA, I think would be uh, him playing every day would be the best scenario, right? He's still a young guy getting the bats, much like Taylor Trammell has gone down and played every day at AAA. I would not be surprised if that were the case, or he would go down and play in AAA when Fraley comes back on Monday, which would be a great addition. By the way, having Fraley come back, he's been such a good hitter for the Mariners, and they could use that production in left field. It lengthens the lineup, too, when you add Toro to the mix. Uh, the one through nine is deeper that way. So 
We'll see if that's the move or not. I kind of suspect it will be, but we'll see. What What do you see so far <clears throat> from the return of Jared Kelnick? Oh, man, he was really good last night. That was fun to see. Yeah. Uh, Kelnick uh, homered last night. He hit the ball hard. Uh, really pasted three balls last night, which was great to see. He had a big smile on his face at first base. He just looks more relaxed when you watch him play. He, you know, it hasn't always been hits in every game, but you've seen progress in his plate appearances, you know, leaving alone some tough sliders off lefties, for example, drawing a couple walks. Uh, he has multi-hit games in two out of his last three games. You can see the progress coming. And it's something I've talked about, too, where I've had this conversation recently with a coach, and uh, I was listening to a scout talk about it as well. But the transition right now from AAA to major leagues for hitters uh, is talked about as being the widest it's ever been because of the pitching for a variety of reasons. So it is major league baseball is always a big adjustment for any young player. But right now, it's the biggest adjustment it's ever been. So when you watch Jared Kelnick play, think about the hitting environment he's been dropped into. And it's not just Kelnick. Look at Wander Franco, who's the best prospect in baseball. And he's having the same sort of struggles. He's batting 230 with an on-base percentage under 300. And he's had three home runs. He's had some flashes. But he's going through the same exact sort of things that Jared Kelnick is going through. And I think at the end of the day, both Franco and Kelnick are going to be fine because they're supremely talented players. They are really good. They both have amazing track records, and, uh, track records, and I, bo- I think they're both going to be great. On, <clears throat> on the big picture right now, <clears throat> what do you think baseball is going to do to help out hitters next year? Because, I mean, you can see it's one of the lowest uh, batting averages, like 234, 233, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, in more than a couple of decades. I mean, what, what does baseball need to do to get the hitters back? It's a good question. Uh, it's a really good question. I think the sticky stuff was a start. I think that's mm-hmm. helped. You've seen the offensive numbers go up. Now, the strikeout rate is still higher than it was last year. So there's some work to do. Uh, it's a good question. I'm not sure what they are going to do. I think uh, manipulating the strike zone is a good place to start because right now you look at the upper part of the strike zone, the upper rung, and I'm talking in the strike zone, not above the strike zone. But in the strike zone at the top, hitters are being dominated, and the numbers are just really ugly. And pitchers know it. They're living up there with some wicked stuff, whether you're talking about 94, 95, 96, off-speed stuff, breaking stuff, hard sliders, that sort of thing. And hitters are just being dominated up there. So I would uh, adjust the strike zone maybe to uh, more what it's been in the past, move it down a little bit, and I think that would give hitters a better chance off the gates. I I would take this thing kind of slowly. There, there's always already been some changes with the ball. I, I think it's risky if you change too many things at once because it, it's hard to know what is affecting what. Now, we've already seen some change with the sticky stuff, so mm-hmm. I would be careful not changing too much, though, because you really don't know at that point what you're going to get. Yeah, of course, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, earlier in the week, it seemed like uh, the strike zone was going so much against the Mariner hitters because huh. it seemed like uh, the umpires were missing so many pitches. I know. I know. I hate seeing it, too, because yeah. I feel like 
I feel like every time we see games like that, that we get closer to the robot umps. And you know, I've always kind of resisted that because I love the human element. Yeah. But, man, I, I just want, I, I want it to be accurate one way or another. And whether that's the human umpires getting better or uh, eventually robot umpires, which it feels like we're, we're going to get there at, at some point. It feels like it's inevitable to me. Maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like we're getting there. But I just want accuracy. And it's so big. Like last night is a great example where Gilbert paints the corner on a fastball that uh, would have been strike three. It's called a ball. Guy whacks an extra base hit right after that. It, it just changes the whole complexion of an at bat, which changes the complexion of an inning, which can change the complexion of a game. It, it, that stuff really matters. So one way or another, this is such an obvious statement, but the more mm-hmm. accurate you can be, the better off everybody is, one way or another, no matter how it's done. Gary Hill, thank you for joining us. We'll be listening this afternoon as they take on the Texas Rangers. And, uh, you know, Mariner baseball continues. Anytime, John. Thanks okay. a lot. Always fun. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. Well, the big story in Indianapolis yesterday was the fact that uh, uh, Carson Wentz felt a pop in his foot and uh, now is getting examined to see if he's going to need foot surgery. But uh, today, the uh, Colts end up signing Brent Hundley uh, to come in at quarterback, and now there's a growing thought. And, of course, this affects the Seahawks immensely is that, uh, you know, at the very least, Wentz is going to miss the entire preseason, and he may miss into the start of the regular season and may not be be there for that opening game in Indianapolis against the Seahawks. So when you take that into account, I mean, it's like uh, that could give the Seahawks a huge advantage because, you know, until they signed Hundley, all they basically had was Jacob Eason in his second year as the quarterback. And Wentz, of course, was brought over and, uh, looked like he was going to be good, but then, of course, they've had so many problems in Indianapolis. I mean, Frank Reich uh, is on the COVID's list. They've got about, uh, you know, four players on the COVID's list. Uh, they lose uh, Wentz, and uh, their starting center, Ryan Kelly, is banged up, too. So lots of issues right now. Let's go to Kyle in Tacoma. Hey, Kyle. Hey, good morning, John. Good morning. Hey, so my question is about the Mariners. I know uh, Jerry... His DePoto's whole thing with trading Graveman was his value is the highest it's going to be, and he's a free agent after this season, so why not get some in return? I completely understand that, but then why did he stay away from trading or at least looking to trade Hanniger and Seeger and even Terrence with their value? They're at a really high point right now. Seeger's going to walk after this year because he's upset with the front office. Everyone's saying Hanniger might get re-signed. If, I would love if we did, but in his personal view, I don't know why he'd want to come back because he's probably one of the other veteran guys upset with front office. So why not try to flip those guys right now and get as much value as we could back in return going into the last 60 games, let the young guys play, get some more time to grow, and then go into next season fully committed in the offseason going into free agency <laughs> with more spending money and even more prospects loaded up. Yeah, but to come up and play for us. I mean, don't you want to see the team win? I mean, it's like the team's seven uh-huh. games over 500. Okay, that's exceeded expectations. I mean, Seeger and Hanniger, I know Seeger's average isn't great, but again, he's got over 20 home runs. And uh, if you trade those guys, all of a sudden, sure, you get value for them, but now it's going to take another two to three years to rebuild because you don't have them. 
And so, uh, you know, the trade that they made, you know, because if Seager does walk in, I don't, I mean, I don't see Hanniger having any problem with the front office. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, if Seager does leave and there's no guarantee that he's going to leave, then they'll give Hanniger the money. And again, Hanniger's played like an all-star. And so it's like, you're going to give yeah. that up yeah. and then concede. I mean, it's like, so, the, I mean, the team, it may or may not get the wild card. Still, the odds may be a little bit against it, but they're going to be in the race until the final week of the season. You want to give that up? I mean, I guess my point of view is with the moves the A's have made and the Astros and the Rays and the Red Sox, we're going to have, even the Yankees, we're going to have a real tough time mm-hmm. catching those guys because we didn't add too much. I mean, we added to I really like that addition. We added a real solid uh, controlled pitcher for the uh, reliever. But why not then send Seager? I mean, teams probably didn't want to take him because that $22 million right, option right. would have hit and they'd have had him for next season. But if we could have got something in return, we're already not going to be competing until at least next season at the earliest, maybe the year after. What do you mean? They're competing now. Kyle, they're competing now. You can say what you want. Yeah, but they're not going to... They're not going to make the playoffs with the roster they have right now with the moves the other teams in the wild card race and the division leaders made. They're not going to catch those guys. Well, I, I don't it know if take, I... I mean, they could. It's, it's sports. It could always happen. It's going to take yeah, a yeah. crazy run. But they're still but in the mix. And again, I just, I, I they're, they're, they're a year or two ahead on the rebuilding schedule. And they've got a lot of good young players yeah. coming up. But remember, they got you know four of the top 14 prospects in baseball. What do you want to have, like eight, of the, sure. eight of the uh, top uh, 20 prospects in baseball and then uh, you know, have a 70-win season next year? Uh, I mean, with the guys, the young guys we've had now, we could easily be competing next year. Seager's not going to be here anyways next season. And if we say we do have eight of the top 20, then next year at the deadline, we're sitting out around the same spot we are now, maybe 500, flip some of those guys we just brought in this deadline, and we'll bring in some key pieces, real top-quality players, kind of like what the uh, – Oh, the Padres have done, what the Dodgers are doing. But where we're at now, we're kind of just going to stay stagnant until the you know, younger guys come up and get those at-bats and get going. Yeah, of course, I mean, the Dodgers don't play into this because they're in the National League. I mean, because, again, it's you like... No, I mean, it's just kind of the same situation. How they're bringing in... They're shipping out prospects to bring in MLB All-Stars. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, they're at that, they're at that stage where, uh, you know, they're, they're fighting for a World Series, not a wild card. Yeah, and that's why I thought it might be better for us to just kind of see if we could get would, more it, to value me, now. Listen, you saw what happened with the Graveman thing. It upset yeah. a lot of players in the locker room, right? If you get rid of yeah, Seager yeah, sure. or you get rid of Hanniger, then everybody goes back to the idea is like this team doesn't want to win. The franchise, the ownership does yeah. not want to win. Do you want that to continue? I mean, you know, say what you want. It's like a, uh, you know, the Graveman thing is very unpopular. It's, it's going to be hard to get past that. But, I mean, they for may sure. have picked up a better young reliever from Tampa Bay who's a closer and has been a good closer for some period of time. And now you can see that uh, Abraham Toro uh, looks like, you know, he's starting. He's a good young player. And so and they have control oh, yeah. of these guys. So it's like, and, you know, like in, in the case of, uh, sure, uh, they didn't, and they did not, in any of the trades, including Anderson from Pittsburgh, give up any of their top 30 prospects? None. Zero. Yeah, I think the only one was Shenton. He was like 18. Oh, okay. Yeah, but overall... Yeah, that, I totally understand. I mean, I, I see he doesn't want to upset the locker room anymore and, and the fans with the uproar they've had. I just, I kind of thought at that point, 
if we're going to, if our thought process of sending Graveman out was because we're not going to have him this year and mm-hmm. use his value to get something that's right now, I kind of thought, well, I mean, why not see what we could get for Anderson? See, maybe we could get something for Seager in return. And, it would have been, it, it would, sense. that would have been a bigger disaster. Really that's a bigger disaster than getting rid of Graveman. Bigger disaster. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Kyle, thank you. Yeah, I really, no problem. I really appreciate your call. If you got time, I had one question about the field. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sure. Yeah, understand. yeah, go ahead. So, with Eskridge being on the pup list right now, I know, mm-hmm. I think it was a week ago we were going to bring D.D. Westbrook in before he signed up in Minnesota. Yeah. You see us possibly bringing in a, another receiver, too, or maybe even Josh Gordon, someone to come in and yeah. see if they can make a roster spot? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, No, no question. I mean, seeing what's available, and if Josh Gordon's there, I, I think he'll be back, and that could help. Hey, Kyle, thank you for the uh, call. No problem. Thanks for having me. I really right. enjoy the show, and you have a great day, John. All right, thank you. 866 ESPN, 206-421 ESPN, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.